The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, One on One showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Wednesday, June 17th. 2015. Listeners, please welcome one of the most talented and hardest working directors in the adult industry, the general manager and director at Archangel Productions, Mime Freak. Welcome to the show, Mime Freak. Oh yeah, what's going on everybody? What's crack-a-lacking? Uh, shit, you know, another day, another dollar. Grinding. Exactly. Holla for a dollar. <laughs> We're gonna make them swallow for a dollar. There you go. I believe it, man. I believe it. So I'm really excited to have you on, man. As I said in the intro, I mean, you are doing the damn thing in the industry. You're one of the hardest working directors. You've, uh, you know, just taken things to the next level. And uh, I'm excited to get inside your brain and to find out, you know, what makes Mind Freak tick. Life. Life makes me tick. You know, when... You come from where I come from, I wasn't destined for, for anything that I have now. You know, growing up, <clears throat> single parent, and going against the grind, you know, a lot of people didn't even expect me to make it out of my own neighborhood. You know, um, had a little setback, went to jail, came out. I had a warehouse job, and I got laid off for, for that and didn't have anywhere to go. Um, jumped back into the industry, and the rest is history. I, I started off as a production assistant, production manager, um, I've done it all. So, you know, for me to to be where I am, shit, if I must say for myself, is about goddamn time. I believe it, man. So let's go back in time and let's start at the very beginning. Let's get to know the man behind the director's hat or under the director's hat. Where are you originally from? I'm in the South Central Los Angeles, born in Compton, South Central Los Angeles. Um, he <clears throat> grew up right off of uh, 81st between Maine and Broadway, right in the heart of it. You know, when a, when a uh, Rodney King riot happened, mm-hmm. smacked right there in the middle of the shit. Wow. So Bill Cosby was talking about you. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I was out there losing my goddamn self. So. That's what's up, man. So share with the listeners a bit about what life was like for you growing up. What was Mime Freak like as a kid, as a teenager? growing up in uh, South Central LA? Oh, man. It, it was, you know, it, it was definitely, it was definitely hard, you know, growing, growing up where everything is right smack dead in your face. All the shit that people saw on the news and all the murders. I mean, I grew up when, when LA was like the murder capital, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that shit was smack dead in our, in our face, getting shot at, 
um, crackheads, people getting beat, stabbed, murdered, bitches getting raped in alleys. Like, it was, it was there. It was there. Like, Minnesota Society, that's a movie to most. Boys in the Hood, that's a movie to most. But that shit was popping every day. Get to the point to where I could be talking to you right now. Um, gunshots to go off. I, I Sometimes I didn't even run. You know, oh, they ain't not shooting at me. We continue the conversation. But other than that, you know, the hood was a big playground. You know, play basketball in, in anybody's backyard. Play the shit. We was playing soccer, uh, shit, baseball, anything, any type of sport we can do, man. We were out in the middle of the street doing, you know. Um, going to a little parks is, you know, you take a take a chance to go to the park. You don't, you don't know who you might run into or what hood you might be. You know what I'm saying? So... I dibbled and dabbled with everything, you know what I mean? Like, just like any other kid, I grew up and, you know, I'm glad that I made it up. But for growing up in the hood, you know, it was hard. Looking back on it now, you know what I'm saying? It was fun. It was always something to do, but, you know, I'm proud of where I come from. So can you take us into uh, your coming of age as, you know, later in your life, in, in your late teens, early 20s, what was going on with your life? Oh, man, transition. <clears throat> um, I got tired of being in the hood. Once I, you know, seen one of my one of my homeboys really get uh get killed, it uh really altered my life to the point where I wanted to to get out of, you know, game banging and being affiliated to turn my life into something else. Basketball is what I used it. You know, once um once it was time for me to go to high school, I had to change areas. Actually I changed areas and um in junior high, I got bust out to the valley. Porn Valley is where I went to school at, you know. So even though it, it was a different world, you know, right down the freeway, you got the hood, 30 minutes north, you got the suburbs. So, you know, I got my uh, I got my little taste of what luxury was being out, you know, with different nationalities. I was used to, growing up in the hood, I was used to uh, Hispanics, you know, Blacks and all the Asians was working at the, the nail salon or the Chinese food place, you know, or the swap meet. I get out to the, you know, to the valley, seeing girls as person. I mean, I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know, I have to look at that shit on the map, you know. <laughs> I got introduced to all types of different bitches. I'm like, oh, damn. Um, but the but the thing what what changed me the most is that it was it was a lot more opportunity out in the valley. Um, we can go to basketball parks and and didn't have to worry about looking over our shoulders. So I, I became uh, became really involved in things that I wouldn't normally be involved. You know, I was basketball captain, track captain, um, shit. I was in student council. You know, people used to clown me, but I'm like, look, man, I actually look good on where, I, where I'm going, you know. Um, I had the nickname The Horse because no matter what I did, I always worked at it just like a workhorse. And I was, uh, I was my coach. He gave me that name. Still to this day, I take on that name very serious. But um, once I graduated high school, anybody that had a a noun hiring sign, I went out and and tried to get a job. You know, I didn't I didn't want to go to college, even though I had a a couple of scholarships. <clears throat> I didn't want to go. I think one of them was on um, on the East Coast, New Jersey. I didn't want to leave my mom, and I figured I said, look, I, I don't think I'm good enough to make it to the NBA, so why even waste my time? If, if I could go back and change that, I would. I would have took the education. But with the, with the mind frame that I had, I wanted to jump out and start working. 
So any any job I had, I, I was out there. I was, you know, working full-time, part-time. One time I had a, a, a full-time job, a part-time job. After that, a full-time job. I used to work, man. And then I found uh, the mortgage industry. I was in the mortgage industry right before I found uh, the porn industry. It was just, you know, when you when you young black and you got some sense of intelligence, you know, people fear you. So with the mortgage industry, they, they felt that they didn't know where to put me. I'm like, you don't, you don't have to put me anywhere. I can find a way, you know what I mean? So they were afraid of, of putting me out there. And I was asking them for a raise and better opportunity. And I was at a standstill. So I, I quit, you know, I quit and um, happened to have a part-time job over at uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. And that's where I met for streams. Correct. Let's actually discuss this because I've read uh, some of your interviews and this is a story that I love because I just think it's one of those, you know, right place, right times type of thing that happens to a lot of people, especially those that are entering the realm of entertainment, whether it's the adult industry or the mainstream side. And I I just love this story. Uh, This is where, you know, the freak of the mime was born right. basically at Bed Bath and Beyond of all places. Right, you know, Chris Strings been there searching for some sheets, and there was a comedian there as well. There was another lady. I had them all talking and enjoying their company while I was trying to get everybody what they needed. Um, at the time, I was doing music, and I was trying to get Chris Strings to um, get some music from me. And uh, I asked him if he was hiring, and he says, you know, we always hiring. I'm like, man, I ain't about to pull out my way for the world. Like, <laughs> I can't do that shit. But um, <clears throat> he said, maybe I, I might have something coming up. He came back, you know, to see me about two weeks later, and he asked me if I was serious. He said him and a partner of his, which was Pat Mind, which is another um, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame director, performer. Um, he said, a partner of mine, we're looking for somebody, so... You know, he gave me one shot. He said, you make it or break it. I remember when he when he first hired me, it was funny. Um, he says, hey, man, I'm looking for a size seven red pumps. And, you know, I went down there and I looked. And I said, hey, there is no, no size seven red pumps. And he says, man, if I go down there, I find those, you know, sevens. You know, I got to think about, you know, I'm like, what the fuck? He said some shit that my mama would have said. You know, if I, if I go down there and I find that shit, you know, you're going to be in trouble. That was my first day. So I went and I grabbed every single red pump that I saw in his band. I bought all of them up. And there was about five, six pairs. And I said, look, I lined them all up. I said, you, you, you see a size seven in there? And he looked at me. He laughed. He said, you know what? Nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever took the, <laughs> the initiative to, to bring up all, just to prove a point. And he says, now, nah, I don't see that. I guess you were right. Now go put those up. You're hired. And that was it. You know, he, he put the camera in my hand and, and told me to do um, behind the scenes. And, you know, um, that was with zero tolerance and third, third degree. And uh, they got McCormick. He's still over there till today. Me and McCormick formed a, having a battle between who can have the most funniest BTS. Um, and of course, McCormick won because I, I had to calm down. They said that I couldn't call people niggas and bitches and shit like that. So, <laughs> and this was all white movies. So it's like, you got this guy that's doing BTS, all white movies, and he's calling people niggas. That ain't going to work. <laughs> yeah. So, but Chris <laughs> Reeves, you know, still. 
the, the, the shit that he told me back in 2005, it still happens today. Like I can't, if I, if I had the money, the knowledge or anything to repay that man, what he's done for me in my life, I don't think I'll be able to pay him mm-hmm. back to the lessons that he taught me. Even way back then, I'm so close with him right now. You know, I can, if I'm in a funk, I'll say, hey, Chris, you know, this is what I need. Um, can you help me? They, and, and if he can't help me over the phone, he says, come over here, sit down, and, and we'll go through it, or we'll go have lunch, or whatever like that. I've been fortunate to meet a lot of uh, a lot of cool people in this industry um, that really showed me the way. I can't look at you and lie to the, to the viewers and the people that's listening to this and said that I did it on my own. No, nah, I, didn't, I didn't do shit on my own. I had a lot of help. But everybody's going to lend you a hand or some rope. But it, it depends on if you're willing to take that hand and follow or if you're willing to swing on that rope to see if you can reach the other side. You know, and even people that feel that they weren't an influence, I, I let them know all the time. And, you know, they said, man, like I talked to McCormick. I said, thanks, man, for all what you've done for me. He says, what the hell did I do for you? I said, man, I was always watching your work and how you worked and, and how you conducted yourself and shit like that. And he still continues to that day. But, you know, that dude is a hard fucking worker, man. That dude shoots about 40 to 50 scenes a month. Like, it's fucking insane. You know what I mean? So that hustle and that grind, he's been doing it for a long time. So, you know, there, there's a lot of people that played a part in, in where I am today. I love the story of Jules Jordan. Um, I love how Mason has solidified herself as a as a top director of being a woman in this male-dominant, you know, industry. Um, Jason, who took me up under his wing and really gave me a, a creative mind to think outside the box and Mick Blue for giving me that opportunity to, to be his main cameraman and, and really polished, you know, my skill. Um, uh, John Sagliano, uh, shit, man. Bella Donna, as, as, as creative as, as she was, you know, uh, Greg Lansky, what he got going on with Black. Um, Prince Joshua for being the, the guy that he is and, and helping me out, and Jess Day for giving me advice, and Shawn Michaels for giving me advice. You know, there's a lot of people, man, I got to thank and look out for. You know, my my, my wife, you know, she she's uh, my rock, and she keeps me level-headed when I want to go out and smash something. So remind me that, you know, don't go out there and do nothing stupid, just maintain what I'm doing. So before this chance encounter at Bed Bath & Beyond, had you at all had a thought and an aspiration, a teeny tiny little speck of a thought in your mind that you wanted to uh, join the adult industry and work behind the scenes? Never. Okay. Never. Never. The adult, I didn't, I didn't buy porno. I probably watched like a couple of flicks. The only flicks that I could watch. Well, you remember back in the day when you didn't pay for the, the sex channel, but if you push the remote button in the, and you can get it to blur to the point yeah. where you can see a little bit. <laughs> yes, you remember them a different kind of blurred lines. Right. So, you know, that, that was the type of porn I used to look at. It, we got like the free Playboy sample like every three months or some shit like that. Um, shout but, out to the free Playboy was, sample. Right. Hell yeah. Shout out to all the motherfuckers that had them black boxes too. Um, <laughs> Um, my, my porno was, was regular TV shows, man. Uh, Family Matters, Full House, uh, Gilligan's Island, I Love Lucy, uh, Small Wonder, Punky Brewster, Grand Paint, Mr. Belvedere, 
um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Three's Company. If I haven't said that before, that was one of my favorite shit. I was Jack Tripper with two bitches in my mind, you know. Um, that was my porno right there. I, I used to jack off to all that shit. I used to pause video games and jack off on Chung Lee. Oh <laughs> my like, freak! You've come a long way, cold man. Freak. Cold, cold freak, man. You don't understand. I remember when you beat what the fuck was that? When you beat um, um, I figured there was a Nintendo game where you beat it, and after you beat it, you know the chip took off. Of, was it was it Astro? No, it wasn't Astro. So it was one of the hardest Nintendo games in the world, and um. You got to see the naked, you know what I mean? So it was just a small clip, but that shit was like a, a huge tongue on for me. So I didn't, I didn't have aspirations or goals to be in, you know, the adult industry. I, I didn't even know anything about it. You know, a lot of people, they chase this dream. And, you know, that, that I mean, a lot of people thought that I don't deserve it because I, I, I didn't chase it. It's like, fuck, man. I took advantage of an opportunity that I was right there, you know? Definitely. How long in total have you been in the business? This year makes ten years. Congratulations, man. Oh, thanks, man. I, I didn't. I, I would have never thought of me being in this industry for this one and being where I am today. I, I couldn't imagine. So let's talk about that. Couldn't imagine. Let's talk about that first day. Let's go back in time ten years and let's talk about that first day on an official porn set. What was that experience like for you? I don't know if maybe you went in with some assumptions, but like, what was that day like for you? You know, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, I was instructed to park at what at a restaurant down the down the hill from location, and I was going to get a ride from Chris. So Chris showed up. You know, I was there early. Chris showed up. We get the set. You know, he gave me a rundown of what what you know what I had to do. And he said something. He says, you know, it might not make sense to you now, but you have to think as if you were me and think how I, I, I want to light this set. You have to you have to be me. And I go, man, that's, I don't even fucking know this guy. And he says, remember, <laughs> you don't you, you don't know me, but I'm going to teach you everything so you can be me. I said, all right. And he says, you're going to have to, you know, make judgments and, and alter things. So that was very very incredible in thinking about how the fuck do I think like this guy? Like, I didn't know how popular he was either. Um, so we get to set, we, we set up everything. I bring up everything. He shows me the house had a little elevator, whatever. So he says, you know, I, when I ask you to go and get some baby wipes, I don't want you to walk. I want you to run when I need something, you know, time is money. So just, just hustle. I want you to always hustle, always run. I can't, you know, afford for you to be trying to look cool you know, so it was funny. He, he introduced me so much and then he gave me the BTS camera and showed me how it worked and what to capture and what not to capture. And, and you know, it was funny because he got rolling and everything was cool. You know, I sat there and was soaking everything up. And when the action started, I, I was like, damn, do I watch? Do I not watch? You know, so I pretty much sat to the side and was looking at the wall. And he says, nah, man, you, you got to watch what I'm doing. I said, man, but I, you know, I'm new to this shit. I'm like, man, this this dude is pounding the fuck out of this shit. You know, what I, mean? I don't want to scare him by looking too hard. He says, no, you got to know how I film, how to how to how to capture a moment, and you have to watch me because you're going to be doing this. I'm like, doing what? He goes, man, I'm gonna teach you everything. So I said, okay, cool, not a problem. Um, and then when he would stop, I would always, 
I, I took a paper towel or a towel and I was dabbing a girl because she was, you know, it was hot. It was, it was, uh, around, uh, March. It was March and it was starting to get hot. So, but and he was using the Ari light. So it was really boiling. So fuck the guy. I went over to the girl and I was dabbing her down. He goes, what are you doing? So I'm, you know, she looking sweaty. He goes, nah, you want them to look sweaty. The last thing you want is some dry fucking sex. If they sweaty, fuck it, leave them. You know, I don't, I don't want to cut. And go from from dry to you know to from wet to dry, mm-hmm. and I said, oh man, you know. So giving them water and, and looking at sex, and I'm like, man, these fucking guys are machines. I'm like thinking to myself, I don't fuck bitches like this. Like, is this <laughs> how it's supposed to happen? Like, damn, I didn't even know you can do some shit like that. And I was also taking like you know notes on, on like how to fuck bitches like differently. Like, man, I'm 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 gonna soak every motherfucking thing up and. You know, once we broke everything down and, you know, he told me to be there the next day and how his personality was. And, you know, it, it was a it was a great first day. Most first days you're nervous. I was nervous as fuck. But the second day, man, I was I was on it. I was ready, you know, just to, to do more, get get on the BTS camera and talk more shit and, you know, see what position the next motherfucker was going to do, you know, and how Chris was going to dress the girl and what 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 can I light up and how many scenes we're going to do, man. It was just a fucking adventure. And I knew after that first day, I said, man, this is, this is like robbery almost. This ain't work. This is fucking fun, man. Like the little work that I do was, is setting up and breaking down. Like the rest, I'm chilling. You know what I mean? The baby wipes in hand with my paper towel and some water and lube. Like, let's go. BTS camera on the side, you know, trying to capture something fun. So the first day was amazing. I believe it, man. Sounds like it. Let's talk about the name Mime Freak, because uh, whenever I interview porn performers, I love asking how they came up with their porn name, their porn persona. You obviously, you aren't a performer, you're a director, but you did pick yeah. a a gnome de porn, uh, for lack of a better word. You did pick a, a pseudonym for, you know, the uh, porn director that you are, the porn right. entrepreneur that you are. So how did the name Mime Freak come about? Well, my first director's name was Dynamite Dolomite. Um, that was when I was directing up under Black Ice, um, Third Degree, and I was I was up under Chris Dreams and, and Pat Myers Wings. Um, but you know, having that name and and the design of where I was headed, I kind of felt that I wasn't going to reach the masses. I was going to reach the urban world and that's cool um I, that's where i come from but thinking about where thinking about my taking it back to my childhood i was raised in an urban area and i go up north 30 minutes and i'm in a different suburban life so the goal I'm, my people are going to have my back no matter what you know what i mean so the goal is to target the suburban life because you know everybody buys porn everybody watches it so i don't want to feel i don't want to make anybody feel left out you know, like, oh, well, he, he's just a black director, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started off as a strictly urban director. And when I when I had the second, my second win, I said, you know, I, I don't want this name anymore because it's not, it's not necessarily me. You know, um, my family, my friends are black, white, Asian, Mexican, like Indian, we're, we're a bunch of things. So why would I be just this pro-urban director? 
So I said, let me think of a new name. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to be very creative and like have a meaning. So I said, mime. I said, a mime only acts. They display their work and their art through movements, through facial expression. Uh-huh. So that's how I wanted my career. I don't need the limelight. I don't need to be out there and, and in every picture. And, you know, I mean, look at who I'm with. You know, so, of course, when she posts something on Twitter, you know, it goes viral. And if I post something of her with me, it goes viral. But I don't need that. You know, I'm, I'm the type of person where I can sit in a closet in all dark room by myself and I can entertain myself, you know. And then the, the persona of the mind, they have a mask. We all have stage names. We don't ever come out and, and, and perform under our real name. Well, except for pain of fear not, you know. Um, but everybody has a shield. So the mind is my shield. That the message from it is, I don't have to use my voice. I don't have to parade around. I can put on a mask and I can, I can let my art speak for itself. And then there's a there's an alter ego within that mind. When you think of a mind, you think of the paint, the face paint that this person is wearing. The main paint that is exposed is all white up underneath is the black. So the thing is, is I've had more quote-unquote white personnel in the industry help me out more than blacks did. So the thing is, is even though I don't see color, I have that mask, and that's pretty much a symbol of of what it is. I was just talking to Jeff Dave today, and he says, you know, if you were to run in this industry and start to talk like where you're from and and what people perceive you to be, you've lost the game. So the thing is, is you've done it the white man's way. And that's the reason why some people can't take it because they said, you know, you're not supposed to be where you are today because you're black. And I laugh at that. You know what I mean? I don't give a fuck what color you are as long as you can get the job done. So mine was a, a very standout. My old tagger name was Mask. And that's where that comes from. You know, if I'm going to tag, I'm not going to tag my real name. I'm going to tag something where, so I used to have a tagger name back in the day of um, math. So that's where the also the mind comes into it. Then I, I thought of freak, you know, well, it's funny because uh, I used to, my mom is, is one of my best friends. And she, um, she said, you know what? You ain't nothing but a big ass freak like your daddy. So she's always say that, and I'm like, Mom, you know, my daddy wasn't the only motherfucking freak. You was a freak too, you know. So that 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 name freak always always stood out to me. Freaks come out at night, you know. I mean, there was so many so many things that came along with the word freak. So I put mine and I put freak together, and I said, you know, this, this is me. You know, this is me. I'm gonna display my artwork, and I don't I don't need that limelight. You know, I'm, I'm shielded with my mask. So you may think that I'm one way, but when that mask come off, I'm a different, I'm a different way, different person. Nice, man. I love the, the breakdown of how uh, the name came about. And I mean, it certainly suits you. And uh, I love it because it's unique. Uh, there's no other right. mime freak in the industry. So you certainly picked a no. great name, man. And freak is so universal. I mean... Even when it comes to my movies, like Anal Freak, you know, no freak. It just, it just, it just, you know, butt freak, booty freak. Like, it just is universal. You know what I mean? The freaks, freakiest. 
you know, and it goes with the industry. Because when you think of freak, what do you think of? You think of something, you know, something either hardcore or something abnormal. And that's mm-hmm. what I am. Absolutely, man. Throughout your amazing career in the industry, who have been some of your most favorite performers to shoot? Oh, man, shit. I can't even say to shoot. Uh, you know, right now, I think the person that that really does it for me right now is, is, is Carmen Carmen. You know, her energy is flawless. Um, Adriana Chexnick is right there. Jada Stevens is right there. Um... Abella Danger is up and coming, and she's crazy as fuck. Um, who else? Aza. I filmed Aza before. She's crazy. Bonnie Rodden. My God. Um, who else? Uh, Tiffany Dahl. Um, fuck. I, I will say Phoenix Marie. How can I forget her? Phoenix Marie is amazing. Um, Alexis Texas. The way she she did her thing. Um, Shit, the list goes on. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta think about something. But you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of girls, man. I know I'm gonna get killed. Some of them listen <laughs> to this damn interview. They're gonna be like, come here. Well, that's why I said some. Uh, so, <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I gave you away an out. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, shit. You know what's funny is I got my computer right here, and I can, I can actually look. Um, Benny Daniels is cool. Um, Romy Rain is fucking amazing. Um, who else? Olivia Austin. I got big plans for her coming up. So she's cool. Uh, Summer Brielle. Um, oh man, I, there's just so many, so many, so many, so many, so many. But uh, who, who else? Fuck. Ashley Fires. I'm gonna have to get her. Amber Wayne, Dana Diamond, um, London Keys, fucking Maddie O'Reilly, Dahlia uh, Sky, Penny Pack. Baruka James. Fuck, the list goes on, man. It's, it's crazy on how many girls can do the same thing, but after a mixed skin diamond. Why did I fucking forget her? Annika, Annika Albright, with, with, with her, her fucking freaky self. Um, gosh, it, there, there's just so many, man. There's so many that, and, and I haven't really shot a lot of all of the things that I want to shoot. Well, that sounds exciting right there, man. I can't wait to see all that you want to shoot to come into uh, reality. Um, it's it's going to be an adventure. It's going to be an adventure. Definitely doing some, some different things and turning more to... I'm, I'm more of a dark director now, man. I don't, I don't like the pretty girl shit. You know, there, there's a lot of that. You know, I'm going to shoot porn when it's midnight. You know what I mean? That, that's why I like the, the, the anal warriors so much is because... Uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. It's amazing what, what you can do at night and get away with. Mm-hmm. That's very true. What do you enjoy most about filming scenes? What do you enjoy most about the process? Being creative. Being creative and, and shooting shooting the things that I want to see. You know, I go back to Chris Streams and, and Jason. They said, you know, film the things that, that, you, that, you're, that you're into. You know, don't don't settle for filming because you have to, but film the things that you are into. And, and not every girl is going to give you what, what you want, but find that special place within that girl and try to bring it out of them. I think the the creative um, the creative side and create new ones is, is the, the most challenging and the most enjoyable moments that I have is just doing something that 
that people are afraid to do, you know. Um, and I, just like I said, I, I will never try to reinvent the wheel, but I'm, you definitely don't get me to try to put my stank on it. I've had the chance to go on a couple of porn sets and do sort of behind-the-scenes interviews for Poppy Chula Radio in the past. But right. for those out there that are tuning in that have never been on a porn set, can you sort of give them a little bit of a bird's-eye view on what happens? Can you tell the listeners about what typically goes on during a normal day on set? Well, a normal day on somebody else's set, I'll tell you one thing. That, that, that's a business, but it ain't as fun on my set. I kind of run my sets like how Pete Carroll runs his football team. Um, we have lots of fun. There's lots of laughing. There's lots of flirting. There's lots of um, lots of fun, man. I, I can't. It, it's just such a positive, positive experience because I, I like for the girls to feel comfortable and the guys to feel comfortable and and, and my assistants or whoever. I want everybody to feel as if they have an input on this production um, from the makeup to the wardrobe to the performance interacting with each other. I want everybody to have a good time. Like if you if you get a chance to, to watch any of my DVDs, if you look at the BTS, our BTS, are not, normally people have BTS 5 through 15 minutes. My BTS is anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes because we have so much fun and, and my editors try to capture all of it. That's not for show. Like, we have so much fun on sets. We do shit. Like, I'll tell my assistant to come and hop, hop in and say some goofy shit or whatever. Like, that's unheard of. Like, you know, a lot of people have corporate-type standings and shit like that where everybody wants to wear their suit and tie and want to be micromanaging everything. No, fuck that. This is porn. You're getting you're getting paid money to, to have sex. So come and have a good time, man. I, 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 I can't stress that enough. So my sex, fun. But if we fuck up, like if we forget to do something, then everything gets a little serious. But even when it's serious, it's still fun. I, I've never had anybody come to set and say, man, I had a horrible fucking time. Or go to their agent or to another performance. And man, people look forward to shooting for me because... They know that it's going to be a lot of fun. You can talk your shit. I'm going to talk my shit, and we all going to laugh and have fun talking shit to each other. Very nice. Sounds like Poppy Chulo Radio needs to visit a Mind Freak set. Man, whenever you out here, come through. Come through. I guarantee you're going to be you're going to be mad as fuck because you can't come through a lot. But anytime you want to city and you want to come through, man, you, you got the you got the welcome mat. Sounds like a plan. I love VIP access. Oh, man, you got that shit over here. Awesome, that's good to hear. What was it like for you to see the first title that you directed in stores? Oh, man, I, I didn't see it in stores. I went to the warehouse after they got them motherfuckers pressed up and printed, and I um, I got about three of them. I had one where I just wanted to keep in the case. I had one that um that I wanted to watch, and I had one where I took it out with me. You know, I took it out. I think it was me, uh, Mr. Pete. Oh, I think it was, um, there was another performer. I forget what his name is. It's, uh, Mark Cuban. He was, uh, he was not Mark Cuban. That's not his name. Juan Cuba. Um, he came out and I had my DVD and I said, look, you know, I did this and they had the little, you know, a little sticker that they put on the DVD mm -hmm. where, you know, they have the, um, the hook where it's going to be on display. 
Yeah. They had the little sticker on there, and I put that shit through my chain, so I had a DVD swinging from my neck. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was my favorite. Um, black that ass up, and and you know people were were looking. It was just like, man, this dude is fucking crazy. I'm like, man, this is my work right here. Look at my name on the shit. Jim and I was on the cover. You know, and, and Bart, uh, Pat Martin, he had his uh, his Escalator on the front. So I'm like, man, this cover right here is hot. So I was telling everybody, you know, Fridays, we went to go eat. It was a Friday, and it was on Friday. I said, man, my movie came out. Y'all should go pick this shit up. My fuck was like, this dude crazy. He got a porno flashing and shit like it's a DVD. And I'm like, shit, if that's what it got, that that's what it takes for people to go and pick up my DVD. You know what I'm saying? Fuck it. So that, that shit was, that, it was funny. So nobody does that. Nobody does that. And, and Pete, Mr. Pete kept fucking laughing. He was like, man, he's fucking crazy, man. Who? Who does that? I'm like, me, that's who. My free damn it. This is my shit right here, you know? Exactly. Throughout the time that you've been directing these past 10 years, have you ever filmed a male or female performer that uh, wasn't giving you exactly what you wanted in a scene? And how did you go about correcting the situation? Now, it's up to you if you want to drop names. You don't have to. But I'm just sort of asking about like the general situation. I'll give you a name. Um, I would I would say slut woman. Um, Maddie O'Reilly. I was going to um, be filming her. And I told her, I said, a lot of the times, you know, I feel that you get lost in the sex and you forget that there's a camera there. And I said, for slut woman, I want you to, I want you to know that this movie is all about you. You have to command the viewers to pay attention to you. Every scene, you need to go hard. Not that she needed, it, but I knew that if I talked to her and let her know what I saw, because if I'm going to shoot a feature on somebody, I'm going to study their work. I'm going to go and look at the other uh, movies that they've done so I can get a feel of the pros and the cons. So me doing my first showcase with Maddie was very important because of <clears throat> how she performed. I said, how can I... How can I help her and, and take her to a different level? So I told her, I said, look, I said, every every single guy that you see, you're going to have to eat. And she goes, what? I said, you, you got to fucking eat. You got an appetite? She goes, what's that? I said, you need to take charge. I said, I understand that you're submissive. I said, but every single guy, you need to eat their ass up. And she did it. She actually listened to me. And every time she shoots for me now, she knows that. This is what I expect out of you. Don't come and get lost in the sex. You can have your moment where you can come, but the rest of the time, you better kick ass and take names. Because a lot of girls, they get lost, and sometimes they think the greatest male performers make the girls stand out. It's not about them. You know what I'm saying? They're going to stand out on their own if they're good. So I told Maddie, I said, listen, I said, you need to demand guys to fuck you. If you got to slap a dude in the face or, you know, put his legs up and lick his ass, you know, to give him something different. You know what you need to do. So she knows now what to for mind free. You got to bring it. And she can be as nasty as she wants to and, and as dominant as submissive. But as long as you give me what I need, I need you to fuck back and not get lost into the sex. You know, you got to perform. So she might not give me credit for her, but that was one person that, I seen do, do a, have a difference because when I filmed that movie, another showcase of her was coming out. So I, I really had to 
um, step it up and, and do something different and bring her out. So that was one person that I can tell you that I feel that I reached by talking to them about, you know, performing. Nice, man. I like that. Very good answer. Yeah. I think a lot of the listeners don't realize that uh, a scene can uh, make it or break it depending on the male performer sometimes. Because if a male performer is having wood issues, that completely affects not only the scene, but the production and the shoot as a whole. So for you as a director, have you ever been in a situation where a male performer is having wood issues? And how do you deal with something like that? Do you call in someone else immediately if you know the performer do you give them a little bit of time to see if uh you know things uh you know what i'm saying (laughs) if things uh correct themselves right now now one thing about me is that i have just like i said i'm i'm a very very performer friendly director i'm not doing your job can i do your job if i have steak and potatoes yeah but most of the time i can't um, I can't do what these guys do. So the thing is, if I know that a guy was struggling, I recently had a guy that struggled. Um, and, you know, this was his first time working for me. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I wonder so, who that is. Yeah, of course. Everybody should know that's the Miss Tori Black right there. Yes, I think I've um, heard of her. She's a, She's like a yeah. new face in the industry, right? Yeah, yeah, some some new chick. I think she has potential. Um, so he was he was struggling, and the reason why he was struggling is because he wasn't used to to the girl, and the girl she had a um um what is that damn thing she had? She had a uh, a birth control device in her pussy. I forget what it's called. What is that? IUD. So he kind of rammed his dick in her. She kind of scratched it. You know, and he had wood problems up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, and I'm not going to take this guy's money away from him. I'm going to give him time, let him get his thing together. But once the chemistry is broken, it's broken. So I gave him this time for him to go ahead and do it. And, and sometimes guys, they, they don't want to hurt the girl. They feel bad or they feel like the girl's not attracted to them. You know, there's a lot of things that comes with going with a male performer from a director's standpoint. So I gave him a little time. He he finished the scene. And then afterwards, I told him, I said, look, I said, if, if you couldn't do the scene, I would much rather you wave your white flag. And, you know, because there's ways to talk to a person. And I told him, I said, I'm not happy with the scene. I shot it in anyway because it's an amateur line. It's not going to be perfect. But I also talked to the girl. I said, look, I said, you scared this guy. You scared this guy and you rattled him. You know, you didn't tell him before. Um, that you had a, a IUD in, so he didn't know how far that he can go inside, you know. But everybody's professionals, and if if girls have, you know, a, 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 a red word or a tap out or whatever, like I'll, I'll cut. You know, everybody's a director of mindset. You know, if you feel that you're not giving your best performance, I will stop for you, and, and you know that's just how I am. So I've never made anybody feel bad on set purposely you know i have killed scenes where i'm like look man you, you're not giving me what i need so you know let's let's try this again another day because you know, everybody got lives you know and, and most of the people that i i work with they understand they understand that they can call me and talk to me and let me know what's going on with them and i'm not going to hold that against you you know just like i said i i can't 
I can't deal with these guys. These guys are, are professionals and they get paid what they do. And they have this job for a reason because they can get it done, you know. And I see a lot of people that chastise other other performers. Like, come on, dude, get your dick up. It's like, come on, man. He's definitely not going to perform if he thinks you're rushing. You know, if, if I, if you have about an hour. After an hour, I'm like, look, I, you're going to pay for this location if I can't get, you know. So take all the time that you need, but know that there might be a chance where I dock you. But the, the guy that I that I was referring to recently, he came back to me and said, you know what, man, I appreciate you being up front, and I owe you a scene. I'm going to come out and do a scene for you for free. And I said, look, man, it's not about that. I said, I don't, I don't need any free work. I'm going to pay you for your time. How are you supposed to get better if I don't, if I don't look out for you? You know, if I don't, if I don't tell you, like a lot of people, I told them, I said, look, if you should have seen for me, you can come to my office. I have a, 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 a fucking DVD player and, and a 50 inch TV and we can sit and watch your scene. And I'm going to give you advice. Okay. You do this, but do that. And, and just like I said, I'm not a performer, but as a director, I will tell you, and then I'll show you and give you examples of how to do it with other guys. There's a, a brand new guy that heard about me and he wanted to come and talk to me and he sat down in, in my office and, and I said, look, man, if you want me to, you know, help you out, I said, it's a lot of watching porn. Like, you have to watch, don't just watch the greats, watch the amateur guys too, you know, go on the internet and, and look at how these guys perform and I'll tell you as a director, you know, on how you can grow as a performer, whether they take my advice or not. How would you describe your shooting style and where did your shooting style evolve from? Raw. My style is raw. A lot of people are very, very technical. I'm not technical at all. I think that's one of my weak points. But the thing is, is, is I, I, I load the camera, I, I format the shit, I see it, I shoot it, and, and that's it. You know, a lot of people, they want to go with the color and they want to go with this and it's like, look, I'm gonna try to get this shit as raw as possible because I don't want any of my things to be staged and too technical where you take away from the main thing, which is sex. You know, people don't watch porn um, from where my standpoint for storylines. There's people that have storylines. I'm not there yet. Do I want to create a storyline? Yeah, but the storyline has to be right. But when it comes to my scenes, I want that shit raw, simple, clean, straight to the point you know uh, i expect people to bust a load to shit that i'm shooting without having you know a lot of makeup on a chick's face or you know putting them in positions that aren't realistic you know what i'm saying like my i think my style is a combination of, of a lot of directors um chris streams uh mick blue jason pat mine said jules jordan um who else mason uh, I can't say Greg Lancy because his is, is kind of cinematic. It's real clean. I'm not that. But, it, you know, a, a lot of people that devil and, and dibble in the, in the porn industry, I've watched them. And, you know, if I see something cool, I'm like, man, I wonder if I can match that. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. I, just like I said before, I, I can't reinvent the wheel, but I can take something and and recreate it and put my stank on it and, and that's where it's 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 going to be different um my favorite director of all time in the in the mainstream world is uh hype williams and i haven't even shout out to hype to, williams oh man hype williams is a shit 
Oh, yes. Um, I haven't even touched bases on the color schemes that that dude used to present videos and movies. So once I get there, oh, man, it's, it's going to be it's going to be another level. I want to I want to do something that people haven't seen. And it's going to be very hard, very challenging. But, you know, to, to, to make a long story short, my style is raw, man. I try to get it as raw as possible. Very nice, man. I certainly think you've been doing the damn thing. Like, in my opinion, every couple of years, there's a new director to keep, uh, you know, your eye on. And uh, many years ago, uh, actually around the time when you entered the industry, there was a director that was shooting over for... Justin Slayer International, whose name right. is General Mo. And General right. Mo, in my opinion, was doing some phenomenal things that a lot of people hadn't seen. And then came Josh Stone, and Josh Stone was right. doing a bunch of phenomenal things that people hadn't seen. And now you're that guy, man. Like, you're doing some amazing right. stuff. So I'm really happy that uh, the industry has uh, certainly taken a shine to uh, Mime Freak. Right. I, I, and I'm fortunate, man. I'm very humble. A lot of people, you know, um, came and went, and a lot of people came and went and came back and went again, you know. Um, am I here to stay? Hopefully. You know, hopefully my, my name reigns for a long time. Am I going to push the envelope and, and try to do different things? You got damn right I am. Because, you know, there's many different ways on how I can present the art of sex to the world, and I, and I plan to do so. Very nice, man. Let's talk about uh, Archangel Productions. How did that come about, and how did you get involved uh, with it? Well, Archangel came off as as an idea. It actually really, I, I like to use the word vengeance. Um, when somebody tells you that you can't do something or you have an opportunity and, and you know what you can do when that person takes your opportunity away from you, and you're like, fuck it, why settle for a brand that's already established and created, we can create our own. So um, Gabriel Guzman and um, his partner, Drew Kennedy, came to purchase Elegant. And um, as they were walking in the office, they saw me and, and, you know, some random black guy in the office laughing and shit, you know, and I always had people in the office and there's always a party coming from my office. Um, they came, I think they came like five days in a row. And this is when Elegant was kind of going through a little bit of changes. It wasn't a lot. It was a big, gray cloud over that company. But I stayed there to try to, you know, give inspiration to anybody. And I said, you know, if I'm a part of this over here, um, I, I want to be here for when meetings happen and when things happen. So they noticed me. So they came into the office and introduced themselves. And I'm like, well, who the fuck are these guys? Like, you know, we've, we've had many people coming through. I'm like, we don't, we don't know these guys. Are they going to be here to stay or... You know, just passing through. So I talked to um, I talked to Gabe, and Gabe gave me an idea of what he wanted to. And I said, you know, I can get all that shit done. You know, he told me the movies that he wanted to produce, and you know, the direction that we were going to take Elegant Angel. And um, I said, cool, I'm with that shit. So something happened, and you know, uh, Patrick Collins and Gabe had a falling out, and I said, you know, here we go again. Here we go again. I don't, I don't have you know, any more patience left, you know, these are some good guys and I believe in these guys. And, you know, I think about a month later, a month later, um, yeah, called me and he says, Hey man, I'm thinking about starting my own company. And, um, I was wondering if you, um, would be down. And I said, you know what, 
The one thing about me is I, I always look for different opportunities. I'm not up under contract with Elegant. So, you know, please understand that if Elegant does get a chance to get their shit together, I'm, I'm still here. But I, I will start your company. So um, we we sat down and we designed out things and he gave me an opportunity and I took full advantage of it. I think the most difficult thing for me to do was that first movie. When we had that first movie, I'm like, fuck, who's going to be in it? Who do I go to? And, you know, I almost had a brain and it is sitting there trying to think of what direction I wanted to take this company into. And one of the um, one of the things that that I I always noticed is that the fans always get the shit ends of the stick. So when performers talked on Twitter, when they was on Instagram, I used to watch everybody. And I'm like, man, here's this fan. Here's this fan that's probably bought every one of your movies and you're not even saying anything to this guy you know i felt bad for this guy so i said you know what i'm going to start this company and be the first director that really have the fans involved and it's been that way ever since um the fans vote for the girls on the booty movie i got a movie that's coming out um that's going to be directed by the fans um everything revolves around the fans whether people like it or not it's their money that they're spending to keep these companies afloat so why would i why wouldn't i cater to the fans the, the the fans is where it is and if you look at my twitter bio it says the performers are the fans well the performers are the slaves and the fans are the gods you know because if, if it wasn't for them there wouldn't be no us and a lot of people they once again they ask me why why you cater to them well, when was the last time I bought a motherfucking DVD? I ain't, I ain't bought no goddamn porn in a long time, you know? These motherfuckers out here buying the porn, so you damn right, I want to hear who they want to see. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Who, who y'all want to see get stuck in the butt, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly, man. And how long has Archangel been in existence? We're coming up on our year anniversary in, um, in August. Very nice, It'll man. It'll be a year. So, yeah, I'm, we're going to have a party for that shit, too can't wait sounds awesome so you briefly mentioned a bit about how some of the casting works in the production so can you go in a little bit more in discussing how you cast the productions as well as how you select the exclusives um you know that that's that's a combination of fans that's a combination of me and gabe and 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 my assistant potter and and Carlos, our, our, our other director, and, and Tori Black, of course, um, they really play a part in picking out who they think is the hot girls. Like, most of the time, we, we pick the girls like baseball cards. Like, my boy Potter, he'd be like, hey, man, you got this baseball card? I'm like, shit, let me see. You know, on Twitter, little Twitter, pro- their Twitter profiles are baseball cards. I'm like, let me check. I'm like, hell yeah, I got that baseball card right there. I shit, you know, that, that's my rookie right there. So, we make it like a little game of who can who can find the next hottest thing. And we have like contests where it's like, all right, what do you think she's mixed with? And, you know, she's mixed with um, black and white. We'll take a pool and we're like, all right, these motherfuckers got to buy me lunch for that. So, you know, we, um, but, but, you know, I use the Freaky Crew to, um, to get me the best and the hottest thing around. I even have my Freaky Crew. Some of them, some of the fans um, have my number. And they'll text me like, hey, dog, you got to see this new chick. You know what I mean? And, and I'll look at them like, okay, cool, you're on to something. Or I'll tell them, dog, that bitch looks like shit. Well, are you serious right now? Like, <laughs> and there's one thing that 
that you won't get from me. I, I can't be a person that's going to be fake. I'm going to tell you how it is, you know, whether you like it or not. Nice, man. That's awesome. So can you share with the listeners what the Freaky Crew is for those that don't know? Because it's a it's like a movement, man. Right. The Freaky Crew is a bunch of fans and certain performers that stand for one thing, um, and that's unity. You know, um, we like to promote people and to get the word out on projects that they feel is dope. Not only mine, um, but other companies and the type of porn that they want to see and the type of porn that they... You know they're interested in so if i give a girl the, the 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 opportunity to join the freaky crew there's no contract involved just join us and having fun with this industry so it's pretty much like a, a a brother sisterhood of a bunch of people where their opinions matter you know the freaky crew is is what i what i also call fan power you know anything that the fans contribute to that's fan power, so Freaky Crew is a bunch of freaky motherfuckers having fun. Awesome, man. Now, when uh, I found out that I was going to get the chance to interview you, I was really excited about asking you this question, especially as I was sort of formulating the interview. And I'm looking forward to hearing your answer for this question. So, if you could bring back a female and a male performer from the past and film them for one of your productions who would they be and why um i don't i don't know probably john holmes and um belladonna oh wow yeah i think those two with john when john had that big ass dick that he had and belladonna with her you know borderline edgy look she didn't have the girl next door um vibe and look that was it was just so transiting when she came out like you don't have to be drop dead gorgeous long blonde hair and big pinup tits you know what i'm saying you don't you don't need that to to be a porn star and john holmes was known to be one of the studs that just basically broke all the barriers in porn so i, I would love to film those guys may may rest in peace and may uh, belladonna enjoy her retirement but those those two names right there stand out to you that shit would have been fucking fireworks. That, that would have been crazy. I believe it, man. Good choices. Who haven't oh, Andrew you... Andrew Romaine and Mark Davis. <laughs> Those two. Man, it's just part of that combination. Them motherfuckers was crazy. And uh, also Mark Davis with, um, with the Ness Swartz. Nice. Fucking animal. When she's an animal. Who haven't you worked with yet that's on your must-do list? Who would you like to shoot in the near future that you haven't worked with in the past? I want to shoot Annika. Annika Albright for... You know, I, I shot her. Never mind. Azza. Kura. I never shot her. I don't know if I'll get the opportunity to because she's a wicked girl. But I think... Um, I've shot her for other productions, but... I would like to shoot her for like an anal warrior or something like that and give her like three guys and let them, let them go crazy on it right there. You know, I, I think that that's probably a person that's still around where she never took a scene off and, and she did things, you know, her way and, and, and commanded the viewers to look at her when I was performing. So I, I think that's probably one of the girls that um, also um, Kennedy Lay. Kennedy Lay IR scene. Um, Kennedy Lay was was definitely somebody that I thought was going to be real promising 
um, in the industry, and she decided to take her career in a different direction. Um, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll salute to her. Um, Lily Carter is another one. Lily Carter was somebody that I filmed for another director, and I wanted to, you know, shoot her and, and, and shoot some incredible shit with her, and I never had the opportunity to. Something that I have to give you major props for is Archangel's web presence. You guys are all over social media. You guys are always updating, and you guys are very interactive with the fans. And something that I know that the fans have been asking for is VOD content, video on demand, as well as an official pay site for Archangel. There is a website, archangelvideo.com, but there isn't a pay site yet. So can you fill the listeners in on the potential for VOD content as well as a pay site in the future? It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Um, We want to go with the right company. You know, a lot of people... We wanted to, because uh, when you think of a company that's brand new, you think of Black. Black came there with internet base. And then they signed on to Jules Jordan to become their distributor. Um, us, we wanted to go the video route first. I think that by going the DVD route, a lot of people called us stupid. A lot of people called us dumb. They said, why? But a lot of people really don't understand that when you have a physical DVD still now today, it means something. A lot of the girls actually love to have DVDs on their own. Um, so we wanted to put our DVDs out first and prove to people that we can provide content. Mm-hmm. With the, 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 the backlash of what we were getting um, when we first came out, a lot of people said six months they're going to be done. Um, a year they're going to be done because they don't have a web presence. It's like, look, we have to introduce ourselves first. So, you know, once we kick down the fucking door and we let people know this is what the fuck is up and we are going to be a presence, then we can go to any web guy and say, look, this is what we've been able to do and we don't plan on slowing down. So the thing is, if you want to fuck with us, that's cool. But if not, we can take it in a different direction. So the thing is, I think with us being a new guys on the block and, and smashing down the door and, and being consistent with the movies that we keep dropping, now we put it into perspective like, look, now you guys can come and say, hey, we, we want you to, to, you know, we want to do a pay site with you guys. You know, it's kind of like being an athlete. You know, you can't go and, and, and talk to the, I'm going to say my team, the Green Bay Packers, and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to walk on. You don't walk on to NFL teams. So the thing is, what you have to do, you have to bust your ass to to um, become noticed and to, to have people want to be a part of your brand. So the thing is, if you can create a name in college and you kick that fucking door down, then you've proven yourself and then you're going to get many offers. So the thing is, is, that was my mindset. It's like, look, we got we got something to prove. First thing we gotta we gotta we gotta expand our brand and we gotta hit the hit the, hit the fucking field running and we did that you know we we stopped all the people from talking shit and you know we still hear rumbling and we still hear people talking shit and stuff like that but just like you said we do have a presence and for us to start a company less than a year and to have the the fans attention the way we have we've been doing something right so we we want people to join us and continue to grow on this journey with us. So that website will be coming soon. Nice, man. I like the sound of that. And 
something else that you've been doing that has helped your web presence as well is you're a blogger. You have been blogging on the site themimefreak.com, and right. I've loved reading your articles. They're very candid. A lot of it is behind-the-scenes stuff. A lot of it is your opinions on the industry, as well as, I mean, there was a fantastic post about sort of love in the industry. What uh, sort of uh, inspired you to start blogging? Well, I, I, I looked at everybody as directors and I, I figured what, the, what what their limits are, you know, because a lot of things happen on set that you really don't get to hear about, that you really don't get to see. There's um, a place of creativity where my mind goes through. So if I can put that on, um, on a blog and share with individuals on where I am in my life or where I am in my career, the funny moments that you won't see on the BTS that happen, um, or if there's a certain person that you want to see that I feel that you should pay attention to, um, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do that. Um, there's a lot of ways where I want to share myself with the fans, uh, other porn personnel, and I want girls to be, you know, excited to be free for the month or anything like that. You know, um, my website is, is my little haven. Um, it's also my, uh, my contribution to the Julie Lynn universe a guy that I've always admired, um, Richard Avery. Um, he took me up under his wing, and he's a fucking evil genius. So I, I worked hard to the point where I wanted him to pick me to be a part of his of his universe, and it happened. And, you know, my numbers are strong. Could they be stronger? Yeah, now that I am general manager of Archangel, I got a lot of responsibilities. And, you know, it takes a lot of... I like to flood him with about 10... To you know, five to ten blog posts, so he can have them already in a can and, and just release it. You know, I want to tack on things where trends in the industry that people might not see that are there, or sports, and you know, just give them a different side of me because you can only do so much with Twitter and and adult DVD talk and you know any other place that I post. You know, there's so much more to me and and in my website you can see that hard side that soft side that freaky side that funny side that side that don't give a fuck you know and that side where you know everybody can can either relate to it or, or try to find something to relate to it or find inspiration you know i don't i don't look at myself as a person that um as an inspirational figure um when people say they look up to me i said man you know Shit, I look up to you. You know what I mean? I, I do what I feel is the right thing to do. If you want to be inspired by what I do, that's cool. But that's not that's not the goal. I just want to put myself out there. And you, you can learn or you can hate or whatever you want to do, but it's still there. What I want to do now is switch up the tone of the interview just a little bit and delve into some of the serious issues in the adult industry. And we started off talking about your life prior to porn and family and whatnot at the beginning of the interview. So I want to go back and visit family again. Does your family know about your career in the adult industry? And if so, how do they feel about it? Everybody knows about my career. Um, not my, my kids don't know just yet. They're not as age. Um, my oldest daughter, she's getting to the point where she can figure it out and she's on the internet. So I'm going to have to have that talk with her pretty soon. But everybody's super supportive, man. I don't have anybody that disrespects me or looks down on me or my, or my wife, for that matter, um, about what I 
what I've decided decided to do. Um, my family is very open. You know, they they laugh because they said, "Man, if anybody wants to do this shit, it'll be you." You know what I mean? And and a couple of them, my cousins, but it don't it don't surprise anybody. And the thing that they all laugh at is they they look at the success, the early success that I've been have, having. My um, second to oldest brother, which is another best friend of mine, he I happen the name the golden child because as as I work hard, I always try to achieve and. He, he, it's funny, he follows me on Twitter, but he never says anything, but he looks at how I represent my brand and, and how I, how I do things. And he says, man, I'm, I'm proud of you. You could have been anything in the world and you decided to, you know, do this industry and you stay patient, you stay humble and look at you now, you know, he reminds me that I didn't, I didn't get where I am by sitting on my ass. You know, I got there, um, by hard work and dedication and, you know, playing my part and not feeling that I had to jump through hoops on a different level and get where I needed to be. So my family knows about it. I, I talked to my mom about some shit and we, we have a good laugh at it, you know. So my family's okay with it. It's just funny because I'll, I'll go and I'll show them the new movie that I'm having out. And one of my, um, one of my cousins, he actually makes beats for my movies. So I, I tell him to look at, you know, his work through a different level and shit like that. So shout out to him because I, I know he's always lurking and looking at my shit too. It's time for the great condom debate. The issue of condoms has been all over the adult industry press, the mainstream press, in particular, you know, most recently within the past couple of years because of Measure B and all of the assembly bills that they've been trying to do to make uh, condoms and, and usage of condoms, you know, a priority and, and mandatory in the industry. So as a director, as someone who's been in the game for a decade, what's your opinion on whether condoms should or should not be used in adult productions? Whatever floats a person's boat. I mean, um, I think that what we do in the industry, I think we really police ourselves enough to the point to where uh, a performer should be able to decide if they feel safe and secure, if they feel protected. Um, what what the masses don't understand is that we are some of the most cleanest people around. Um, if you go on the street and you ask people, the general public, how many times they've been tested in the last 15 days, year, month, you're going to find that their numbers are really low. We're not a problem. Um, we do things in the comfort of our environment. We don't bring sex to the public in any form, way, or fashion. Um, we protect ourselves. We look out for ourselves. So I think that the public don't have the education of where we are and what our standards are. So they're very confused because you have the mainstream media out there that want to target us, but we're not we're not causing harm to anybody. If there's a uh, HIV outbreak in Los Angeles, they'll automatically look at us, but we test it. We we know what what's going on and and how it's happening. If we do have an infection, we do follow protocol that the general public don't. If somebody in the general public has HIV, there's not a a, a nationwide alert or a Amber alert for a person that has HIV. You know they go along about their lives and and, and you know they wish them well. But here, when somebody does um, contract a serious disease like HIV or AIDS. 
we take that very serious. We shut our industry down. We go through the protocols. We have um, people that we go to to help us and service us to know how we're going to move forward as a unit. And if it was so bad, you know, things could have been shut down a long time ago. But, you know, I think we've been doing a phenomenal job on trying to educate the public um, of where we are and what actually goes on into this industry because a lot of people look at, you know, uh, porn stars as the enemy, but a lot of people look at us and they want to be us and they try to imitate us. They try to imitate our lifestyle. When you, you know, look at mainstream, you got Twitter, you got Instagram, you got all these blog sites. What do you see? You see girls sucking dick and trying to be like a porn star. You got girls twerking and guys taking selfies with their dicks and stuff like that. You know, we are the new rock stars. And I think with that image comes great responsibility. And when you look at the superstars of this industry, they carry themselves well, very well. The most successful people are married and in relationships and they're not monogamous and going out and having orgies. That's not what you get over here. We're actual professionals. And a lot of people don't understand that. Now, of course, within everything else, you're going to get a, a few bad apples that are going to go out there and they're, they're going to, you know, sell their royal oats. But for the most part, all of us are professionals. So if there's a girl that wants to perform in it with a condom, she doesn't feel safe, we cater to those people. We don't turn away from them. There's many different opportunities and many different levels where you can um, you can do what you feel, you know, comfortable with. We don't, I get girls all the time and say, hey, this is the type of thing that I want to do, I want to do, and I cater to those girls because as a, as a person, that has responsibilities. I want to make sure that this person is comfortable and I don't have any backlash. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. I've been interviewing performers for the past seven years, almost eight years, good grief. And uh, a question that I like to ask performers is about moratoriums because a lot of uh, the fans out there, they don't typically understand how moratoriums affect performers. And a moratorium usually happens when production is halted because a performer has uh, tested positive for HIV. And then, you know, a lot of performers have to be retested. There's like generations of performers. There's like first generation people who did scenes with, uh, let's call them patient X. And then there's second generation, which is performers that did, that did scenes with performers that did scenes with patient X. And there's this whole thing and people are getting retested. And so productions are halted. They're stopped. And this could, happen for a short amount of time it could happen for a long amount of time so as a director someone who's working behind the scenes how does a moratorium or how has a moratorium affected you in the past well um as as a, as a director I don't, I don't perform so you know, one thing that i look for i look for unity within the industry and i don't want to shoot the girls or the guys that are out there pointing the fingers and you know, what, what, what it all boils down to, um, it affects me by stopping production, but I try to keep one or two movies in the can just for that. Um, but so many people put their, put, 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 put themselves out there. And I will never go on record on Twitter or any outlet and, and disrespect anybody else because they, they do different things and, and have different part of their careers. Um, <clears throat> what you do at home is your business, but, you know, a lot of people in the industry, you know, we want to support one another and we got to stand united when something does happen. We have to take that protocol and we got to make sure that everybody's safe because if you become careless and reckless, 
you know, you can do more harm than good. I mean, there are people's lives that you can alter. Um, so me, it's not about, oh, fuck, I got to stop production and that's going to fuck up my paycheck. I got bills to pay. It's like, oh, I hope that it's not one of my friends. I hope it's not somebody that, you know, that I, that I hope that that person didn't contract any disease on my set. You know, my heart goes out to these performers that put their life on the line. Um, so does it affect me? Yes, it affects me because I have a lot of people in this industry that I call friends that I actually love and care about, and I wouldn't want anybody to have anything, you know, so it's like a hold your breath moment when a monetarium happens, and I, I don't give a fuck about the money, you know, when it comes to somebody's life, hey, I'm stopping production, and I'm, I'm going to go with protocol as well, you know, I'm not going to sneak and, you know, oh, let's do a solo, or let's do this, and let's do that, no, if, if, if the production hope comes, we got to stop, and, you know, they're, one thing that I know is that we have to stick together and a lot of people, they want to mouth off and start throwing, you know, sticks and stones to a person that they feel is a high risk. And it's like, come on now, like, how does that, how does that make us look? But, you know, when, when it, when something like that happens, I think it affects everybody. So does it affect me? Yes, it does. Let's talk about race and the industry. And I'm curious to ask you about, uh, Black on black erotica, ebony erotica, as mm-hmm. I like to call it. Right now in the industry, interracial is on fire. It is one of the top sellers in the industry, and unfortunately, it seems as if uh, interracial's popularity has affected uh, the uh, amount of black erotica that the industry produces. I would say when you started, as a director 10 years ago, there were many more production companies that focused on black on black erotica that, you know, pumped out gonzo titles and features and reality based titles that featured all black right. casts. So, what's your right. take on the current state of black erotica in the adult industry? I think that with the placement of, we went through so many. So many years of so directors, producers, agents, and a lot of people saying that interracial is bad. That you don't want to do interracial scenes because they're going to ruin your career. So therefore, the black product was still out there. It was it was soaring because it's kind of like the whites are fucking the whites and the blacks are fucking the blacks, and you get occasional white girl that you know will will fuck a. Um, black guy and occasional black girl that a fucking white, but it was very rare. Um, so it was kind of like the, the, the racial stigma in the industry really kept us divided. Um, I remember the first movie that I shot, you know, was all black. Second movie that I shot was all black. I don't even think for as long as I was with 30 degrees, zero tolerance of black eyes, I didn't, I didn't shoot white on white, you know, because that's what it was. It was like you're a black director. Okay, you're gonna black. You're gonna you're gonna you know black out. You're gonna shoot all black stuff. Now, people are changing and drifting towards IR scenes where it's like okay, their first black guy, and it, and it's it's a marketing scheme, so to speak. Um, I always tell girls when they come to my office, look, if you like brothers, fuck them. You know what I'm saying? Like, but if you don't, you don't have to. Don't do it for the money. Do it because you want to do it. And a lot of people are going to judge you whether you like it or not. So right now within style, and and I think the reason why the black market isn't as popular as it once was is because they're not getting creative with it. You know, you get the 
the, the sister with the with the booty shorts and the bass in the background and they twerking in front of a ramp. And it's like <clears throat> I did a, a all black movie for um Elegant Angel, Caramel Honeys, and I took them out of that element. I think that if people really the only person that I see really doing it right now or hanging on to that and it's the only director that's really hanging on to that at, on a mainstream level is um, Lexington Steel. Um, he's taken black girls out of their element. But, you know, the, the black girls can act. The black girls can take dick. But what we're lacking right now is a lot of black superstar women. Um, we have Missy Stone. We have Skin Diamond. Um, we have uh, a few up-and-comers, but we don't have that, that go-to crowd. Like before, we had Marie Love. We had Jada Fire. We had Naomi Banks. Um, we had Capri Styles. Um, we had we had a lot of girls where it was like they did everything, you know. Now we have Missy Stone, we have Chanel Hart, and we have, you know, uh, Tiana Trump is another one. Um, Yasmin De Leon. Um, there's, there's a few other, but you know, you have to to, to sell black product. You got to treat it like it's any other thing, but you can't just shoot it. You know, it gets watered down, and you know, it, it, I don't want to call company names out there, but. The, the main company I was doing um, black on black stuff. It was just, you know, they make it look so cheesy. They don't spend the necessary time to, you know, make it look glamour and make our, our black performers look, you know, black performers, the women to make them look more different. They, they shouldn't have the same environment every time. It, it, it's lame. So the thing is, is, I wanted to do something different with Caramel Honey. And I did that. So I haven't shot an all-black movie for Black Eyes, um, Black Eyes, for um, Archangel, but I will be. I will be soon. Um, but, I, you know, we, we're just waiting for that next wave. And I think there's enough for me to, to actually shoot it. Because when you shoot one movie, you're thinking of the second, the third, and the fourth. So <clears throat> if we can't keep shooting these lines because it's not a, a lot of mainstream black girls here on the West Coast, then it's going to get repetitive. Like me, the black market is not in in California. It's it's Miami, it's New York, it's Jersey, it's Philly, it's um, Texas, Atlanta. You know, you got to travel, and we don't have the luxury of traveling all over the world to, you know, have these girls in our videos. There's girls out there where you can be creative with them, but they're not here. They they're all over the country. Mm -hmm. Come on down to Miami. We'll be more than oh, happy man. to I, have I you guys. Get out there. That's, that's, that's one place. One place I'm trying to get to. Well, I've been talking about that, too. I want to go to Miami. I want to go to Europe. Sounds like a plan. I think you could make the next black female superstar. I, 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 I got somebody that I, I can. I got, I got a couple of girls that have really huge potential, and I'm not going to say their names because, you know, people hear this interview and they want to go in and jock the motherfucker style like they've been copying me <laughs> and what I'm doing with the fans and all types of shit now. So I ain't giving no names. Fucking lurkers. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I hope something can happen because I don't think that there aren't black female performers out there. I mean, they are out there. They're just, in my opinion, right. aren't that many opportunities for them anymore, in particular because right. for the industry, interracial, which still baffles me, interracial is labeled as a black male and a white female. Right. And, and 
you know what's funny is, is I wanted to do an all-interracial movie, but it was going to be like white girls with Asian guys. Just to throw that shit in their face. Because, I mean, when you think of interracial, they, they, you know, and just like I said, I think it's, 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 a, it's a paycheck type thing. You know, um, people save it and people hold it like it's some grand thing, but it, uh, 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 a dick is a dick, you know. No matter what the color it is, if you're a sex freak like myself, you know, color don't matter. But I, I get it. I understand. It, it's your it's your career to each his own. Um, but when you think of interracial, I know a lot of European guys that, that fuck Spanish girls. That's interracial right there. But, you know, the typical in-your-face is the black guy white girl mm-hmm. and you know i get it because I, I do a lot of that shit myself you know i'm gonna follow it but we have to change it up to the point to where people things happen in waves like it was all about black black movies and then you know the the, the white movies have always been there and then the ebony then that was a in, interracial was just in style right now but has it been there yeah even in the slavery days, you know, you had the white man looking at the house, nigga, like, man, I'll take that shit down. Look at them lips. Look at them fucking sis. Look at that ass. Man. And then you had those, you know, the slave master's wife looking at them guys working on the field with their shawls. She's like, damn, you know, I've seen that motherfucking naked right there. That motherfucker got a big-ass dick, you know. So it, it's always been there. It's just being brought to life. So I'm going to write the shit so the wheels fall off. But if you take a look at it, I don't see any other black director or director that happens to be black what i call myself that shoots all white i shoot everything you know i shoot all white mm-hmm. movies yeah that's true i shoot ir movie and i have yet to shoot an all black movie but it's coming and and when i do it it's going to turn heads because you know i mean you can't just with every movie that i shoot i want it to be a trend i don't want you know i want it to be an experience for that for that movement i don't want to um follow the the the, the mold because that's where you get different. I want people to be proud of this all-black movie and want to go buy this as they would my all-white movies. You know, fans coming on different colors. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to reach it. Sounds like a plan, man. Something that I would be remiss in not asking you about is a mini, I don't know, controversy, let's say, that happened uh, during late spring of this year. You had a contract performer, and uh, things happened, and she was dumped from her contract. There were words on Twitter. You came out with a statement, and uh, a lot of people have been talking about it. So uh, I've got you here, and I have a feeling that the listeners wouldn't be too happy if I didn't at least ask you about it. So is there anything that you haven't said or is there anything that you would like to address for the listeners and your fans that are tuning in about uh, the Remy LaCroix situation? Well, the thing is, is first and foremost, I wish nothing but the best for Remy. Um, when you get a person of that magnitude and you get a company that is up and coming, a lot of, a lot of opinions get clashed, a lot of egos get, get involved. Um, bringing Remy on was something that we all thought would be beneficial. Um, she likes to do things her way, and sometimes you you have to explain to certain individuals that this is not just doing fun things. It's a business. We have to have a very different strategy on how we present our movies, shoot our movies, to where our movies are successful. Um, and did we get a lot of the things <clears throat> out of Remy that we wanted to? No. Um, 
Remy is a, a great performer. Um, she, she's heavily looked at um, as, as an elite performer. So we wanted to make her a part of that brand. Once we started bumping heads, we was like, okay, how can we fix it? There was a couple of issues and we wanted to fix it. We invited her to dinner and heads just kept bumping to the point to where, you know, she wanted to make some changes in the movie. And we said, you know, financially, this is not going to make sense. This is a business. And a lot of people really don't understand. We can sit you down and we can show you how this business works. One thing about us, and one thing that I did try to do, I tried to reach out to her and, and talk about, you know, why we couldn't make a decision that she really wanted. And, you know, just like I said, we bumped heads on the situation and, you know, she couldn't get to the head guy in charge in time. And she went to Twitter and she, you know, um, put out a frustration. And even then after she did that, you know, when she was putting out the hashtag free running, we ignored it. You know, I, I don't, I don't use my public fan base and my public platform to dispute you know disagreements and go back and forth i'm bigger than that um so on friday she went out and everybody in a part of the company had a decision to make we all said do we keep her or do we let her go and the mass decision was um to let her go so we let her go um and she asked for it you know when you put out a hashtag free remy and you want to leave we're gonna we're gonna let you leave you know if you don't want to be here that's fine we don't want to have anybody that's with our company held against their will. So we, we, we gave her that. And then the backlash came where she got into a little sound match with my wife. And, you know, me here, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with anybody. If, if I have a problem with you, you have my number. We can agree to disagree. That's what all this is. We're going to agree to disagree on something. I'm going to keep doing my thing. You're going to keep doing your thing. Now, she she's brought my family into this. But just like I said, when you're a professional and you feel so honored to have the opportunity that you have, you don't want anything to, to negative. You don't want anything negative to come be a part of that. So, you know, just like I said before, I wish her the greatest luck. I'm, I'm sorry that it didn't work out between us, but we're not going to have someone that's unhappy. So the best thing for us to do is walk away. We can't please everybody. We won't please everybody. So the thing is, if you feel that, you know, your time is up or if we're not meeting your standards, then that's cool. You know, here's your walking papers and, you know, no hard feelings. If she want to come back and say, hey, you know, let's give this another shot, I guarantee you we'll sit her down here what she has to say. So for me to go out there and say, fuck with me and, and this, 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 you're not going to get that from me. Because the thing is, is, I'm very fortunate to be in a position that I'm in. I'm very happy with my career. So for me to get involved with that he say, she say, we know what happened. We know the details of what happened. And, you know, I, I wish her the best of luck. We have uh, Remy's Angels that's coming out. That movie's still coming out. And it, it's re I was watching it all of yesterday. It's a really great movie. I know that she's not going to promote it. We're going to promote it. Um, it's our way of saying thank you for the time that you spent with us. And, you know, it was directed by my wife. And, you know, I know that her and my wife are bumping heads and we don't agree on all things. But guess what? We're going to display what Remy did when she was with Archangel, the short period of time that she was with Archangel, and I guarantee you it'll be a movie that fans are going to enjoy. I appreciate the candor, and I appreciate uh, the answer, man. I'm sure a lot of uh, the listeners and the fans uh, are appreciative of it as well, but uh, let's move away from the serious stuff, man, and as we start wrapping things up, uh, let's 
get to know some more about Mime Freak. Tell me something quirky about yourself that most people don't know. I take a shit with all my clothes off. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't shit with clothes on. <laughs> you know, like, everybody makes funny life. I, I, I try not to shit in public places because I think that's disgusting. But a lot of people make fun of me because I'll, I'll strip down. I'll strip down and they go, man, well, why, do you, why do you strip down, you know? And I say, you know, I don't want to get any shit on any of my, on my clothes or my shirt. You know, that, oh my that's like God. one of my things. I, I don't want to, I don't be walking out the bathroom and see my fucking shirt. And it's like a, 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 a skid mark, mark on my shirt because, you know, right. It's like, now I've seen that before. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I sit down, man. I sit down and, you know, that that's something I get teased about with my wife. And he goes, man, you can't, you know, be in the bathroom, strip it down naked and, you know, to, to, to take a shit and then, you you know, you're wasting all of the time in the day getting dressed and undressed, you know. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm goofy. I'm a, I'm a kid at heart. I watch SpongeBob often. If I had a hard day at work, it does not please me more to turn on my TV and watch some cartoons, man. I love SpongeBob, Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, DuckTales, all that shit, man. I got... Uh, Shout out to DuckTales. Oh, yeah, man. Um, I got... I got uh, whole lot of fucking DVDs and shit that I, I'll be in like Bonds and I'll see like the Tom and Jerry or the Batman videos and I'll buy that shit. A lot of people think just because I got kids. Alright man, fuck them kids, man. This is my shit. I got Captain Crunch cereal where I gotta wait until the kids aren't looking so my wife won't kick me in the ass for eating this, this type of cereal that she don't like the kids to eat. You know what I mean? So, yeah man, I'm a big ass kid, man. That's me. I love, love to to bring out my inner kid when, when there's a movie come out and, you know, if the kids ain't available to go with me, I'll be in a motherfucking theater watching a cartoon movie by myself. So, yeah, man, I'm just one big-ass kid having fun with life. I have a real big inner kid that comes out. I like to spend days eating junk food and playing video games. And, and you know, I just got a fucking Nintendo in my office and my uh, my boy came into the office, the one that owns Arcane, he comes in the office and the light was off. He goes, man, what the fuck is going on here? I said, man, I got to have a full effect of playing this Nintendo. You know, man, this shit is serious. He goes, man, that's fucking crazy. Like, he think I'm in there working and I'm in there playing fucking video games. <laughs> the, oh, the real old school shit. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm just I'm just a big kid, man, and a man's body. I believe it, man. And I think in all of the eight years that I've been doing this, or the almost eight years, that nude pooping thing is the weirdest thing that anyone has ever said. So, congratulations, Mime Freak. <laughs> that's just me man next time you take a shit and you got your shirt on and it's hot you're gonna laugh like a motherfucker you're gonna be like man maybe i should take some clothes off you know what i'm saying i'm telling you be relaxed man be like a king on your phone <laughs> naked shit <laughs> caligula at his finest Word. good grief man describe yourself in 10 words or less you say 10 words mm-hmm goofy Weird, um, shy, caring, uh, funny, determined, motivated, serious, um, focused, and happy. Right now, I want to allow your fans and supporters to get to know some of your favorites. This is a list of uh, pop culture-oriented questions. So the first in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Oh, shit. None cartoons or cartoons? It's up to you. Okay. Um, I gotta say, uh, Prince of Bel-Air, 
I say Cosby Show. Um, after and before the rape accusations, fuck what y'all got to say. Martin, <laughs> um, my wife and kids, and SpongeBob. Who are the three? Company. Oh wait, go ahead. Jack off time. <laughs> the oh. three's company, a little, little jack off time. <laughs> Porno area. Good grief, man. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? Oh man, shit. I you know I got so many. I got so many. I want to say uh, Marvin Gaye because of my dad. May he rest in peace. Marvin Gaye was one of the guys that uh, that my dad used to always play. So whenever I I listen to Marvin Gaye, I think of my pops. Um, I gotta go with um, Barry White. There's nothing like a smooth talking individual that can probably get your woman to pull her paintings off while listening to him through the speakers. I gotta say Isaac Hayes. Um, that that dude was a hell of a composer. He'll make a beat out of fucking nothing and just make you vibe out. Um, and as as far as uh, as rap go, shit, man, it, it's too many. It's too many. The person that I like to, the person that I'm listening to right now, man, and I, you know, I, I bought all this fucking out. Didn't download all of his albums. I do Ghostface, man. I like listening to Ghostface style. Part of the Wu Tang, love fucking Wu Tang. But you know, there, there's no. There's no father to that dude's style, man. That dude is, that dude is real ill. Um, you could turn on Ghostface, whether I'm mad, whether I'm happy, whether it's time to go, you know, beat, beat some dude's ass in basketball and play video games, five and out. Ghostface is that dude, man. What are three of your most favorite films? You gotta say Scarface. Scarface is, is you know, all-time classic. Um, that, 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 that's the commercial. Uh, I gotta say, Road to Perdition. Um, Road to Perdition. If you if you know about it, it's a Tom Hanks movie. It's the mob movie. One of the most um, unknown movies that people need to check out. So if any of y'all listen, go check out that um, that uh, Road to Perdition movie. I gotta say, Golden Child, man. The the Golden Child. That was the name that I had growing up. You know, Eddie Murphy, one of my one of my favorite actors. You know, what I'm saying in that movie. So gotta gotta. Shout out a movie from him, him and, and that, that Golden Child and coming to America, that shit. So. What are two foods you can't live without? Shit, chicken, of course, you know, typical black man's chicken. Um, whether it's, it's broiled, I like broiled chicken and baked chicken more than, more than anything. And I got to say, um, my wife's sandwiches. Now, my wife's sandwiches is a shit. Like, you know when, when you look at a sandwich ad and it got, like, too much meat on the sandwich, cheese, mm-hmm. fucking lettuce, pickles, tomatoes? That's how she makes her sandwiches. And I look at her and I laugh. And she goes, why do you laugh? I said, because I always wanted to make my sandwiches like this growing up. My mom had five boys, so she'd beat motherfuckers' ass if you went in there and made a sandwich that looked like this. So her sandwiches, if I'm in a bad mood or if I'm turned up or something like that, a good-ass Tory Black Sandwiches put me at ease any day. Nice. Shout out to Tory Black Sandwiches. Oh, yeah. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? Uh, guilty pleasures? Say ice cream. Popsicles, man. Fucking popsicles and cookies. That's that's the reason why I got all this goddamn weight on me right now. A lot of people <laughs> don't think I'm fat, but I think that I'm fat. You know, the popsicles are not so much because, you know, I, I that, that's fruit. It's just a lot of fucking sugar in the cookies, man. Goddamn Joe's Olds from Trader Joe's. I don't know if y'all got Trader Joe's out there, man, but they mm-hmm. got 
it, it's Joe's old, but it's it, it, it's it's Oreo cookie, but it puts Oreo cookies to shame to me. You know, the motherfuckers is bomb. So I sit up there and eat Joe's old at night and pop sizzles, and then go back to Joe's old watching fucking Game of Thrones at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> the life of the freak of mime. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. What's next for Mime Freak? What can the listeners and the fans that are tuning in right now expect from you in the future? You know, we're in the middle of June, heading deep into summer. What can the listeners expect? More filth. More filth. I got Angel Warriors coming. Um, I got uh, Black and White Affair coming, which is going to be a, a very, very, very classy movie. Um I have the Booty Movie 3 coming. I got a couple of showcases. I got another pound on my face. Um, and as far as me personally, you're going to see growth. I got um, two mainstream projects in the work. And then I'm going to be, I'm going to try to get a talk show going where it's me interviewing people. You know what I'm saying? Like, nice. you can do podcasts, but people want to see visuals. So I'm, I'm going to show them what we'd be talking about, facial expressions that people be making and shit. And then, um, Mind Freak TV, man. I've been putting it off um, um, for, for a long time. So I'm going to be shooting documentary-style interviews where you learn where I come from, my trials and tribulations. Not through me walking around my old neighborhood. You're going to get music, you're going to get my voice, and you're going to get visuals. So that's going to be a real important thing for me because a lot of people like yourself want to know what Mind Freak actually stands for. I'm going to show you where, you know, you take you know, a documentary style um, presence and you put that on film for people just to watch and I want your head to nod and I want you to feel where I come from or where I'm going and, and also other people's background through, you know, words and music and, you know, just the vibe out and have a good time. So I think that's pretty much, for me to expand my brand, I think my free TV is it where people really don't take me serious for taking things to a different level. I can't wait, man. Everything sounds exciting. How can oh, your yeah. fans reach you? How can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social networking, all the goodies? TheMindFreak.com. You can find my blogs. You can also drop me a, a, a line in the comment section. I always try to reply. You can catch me on AdultDVDTalk.com. You can put in the forum section, MindFreak thread. Um, I'm there. I'm also, you know, very heavily re- responding to, to the fans there. Um, Twitter, MindFreak, at MindFreak, um, Instagram, I'm on there, I, I post a couple of pictures, you know, more intimate pictures and, and pictures of my dogs and stuff like that, so I, I kind of keep that more personal, but it's out there, I don't I don't block it or, or make it private or anything like that, what you see is what you get, but, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere, man, be on your fucking couch soon, so the look for me to be everywhere, if you, you need to reach me, shit, you can even find my phone number. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in right now? Thank you, everybody. I want to say thank you to the people that actually became a part of the Freaky Crew, that actually um, spend their hard-earned money or downloaded that shit illegally and spend time watching my craft and reading my work and, and, and visiting my blogs and becoming a part of a company that's a movement. We wouldn't be here without you guys, so Thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. I've been looking at the many interviews, so when you reached out through Erica, Erica Icon, shout out to her, you reached out to her and said, man, I want to interview this, and I'm like, God, wow, damn time, fuck. Like, <laughs> so I feel like, you know, it's an achievement to be 
interview about Poppy Tulo and shit. Well, I appreciate it, man. And I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview. I was really excited about getting the chance to interview you. And certainly, this is the first of hopefully many interviews that we're going to be featuring with you here on Poppy Chulo Radio. Of course, man. You need anything. Just like I said, you know, reach out. You want to talk about sports. You want to talk about the industry. You want to talk about presidential elections. Anything. I'm, I'm here. Just reach out. And I'm, I got you. Sounds like a plan, man. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Tune in for brand new episodes of One-on-One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can download this episode and many more by visiting poppychuloradio.com slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. And with that, Mind Freak and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Bye. Thanks for listening to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 305-515-8620. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio and like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.